going to read James Harriet's All Creatures Great and Small, Chapter 49, St. Martin Press, 1972. Let's open uh, just telling God thanks for what he's given us. I thank you, Lord, that we live at a time when we have great plenty, lots and lots of things that we can enjoy and delight in. Uh, I pray that we would use the tools you give us and not become slaves to them, that we would take care of what we do have and rejoice in your provision over all things, even as we have responsibility on this earth. Lord, give us wisdom for this day and let us enjoy this chapter because um, you give us this narrative that's a pleasure to read. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If only my car had had any brakes, I would certainly have enjoyed looking down on Wharton Village from the high moor. The old stone houses straggling unevenly along the near bank of the river made a pleasant splash of gray on the green floor of the valley. And the little gardens with their clipped lawns gave a touch of softness to the bare rising sweep of the fell side on the other side of the dale. But the whole scene was clouded by the thought that I had to get down that road with its one in four gradient and those two various and those two villainous espens. It was like a malevolent snake coiling almost headlong from where I sat. And as I said, I had no brakes. Of course, the vehicle had originally been fitted with the means of bringing it to a halt. And during most of the year, I had ridden it in it. I had ridden in it a violent pressure on the pedal, which would have the desired effect, even though it caused a certain amount of veering about on the road. But lately, the response had been growing weaker, and now it was nil. During the gradual deterioration, I had brought the matter up with Siegfried now and then, and he had expressed sympathy and concern. That won't do, James. I'll have a word with Hammond about it. Leave it with me. And then a few days later, when I made a further appeal, Oh, Lord, yes, I've been meaning to fix it up with Hammond. Don't worry, James, I'll see to it. Finally, I had to tell him that when I put my foot on the pedal, there was nothing at all, and the only way I had of stopping the car was to crash it into bottom gear. Oh, bad luck, James. Must be a nuisance for you. But never mind, I'll arrange everything. Sometime later, I asked Mr. Hammond down at the garage if he had heard anything from Siegfried, but he hadn't. The motorman did, however, hop into the car and drive it slowly down the street. He came to a jerking, shuddering halt about 50 yards away and then got out. He made no attempt to back up, but walked thoughtfully towards me. Normally an imperturbable man, he had gone rather pale, and he looked at me wonderingly. And you don't mean to tell me, lad, that you do all your rounds in that car? Well, yes, I do. You ought to have a medal, then. I doesn't drive it to cross marketplace in that bloody thing. There wasn't much I could do. The car was Siegfried's property, and I'd have to await his pleasure. Of course, I had experience of this sort of thing before in the shape of a movable passenger seat he had in his own vehicle when I first came to Derby. He never seemed to notice when I went over backwards every time I sat in it, and I don't suppose he would ever have done anything about it but for an incident one market day when he noticed an old lady with a large basket of vegetables walking in Derby and courteously offered her a lift. Poodle girl's feet went straight up in the air, and she was just disappeared into the back. Had a hell of a job getting her out. Thought we'd have to get a block and tackle. Cabbages and cauliflowers rolling all over the place. I looked down. I looked again down the steep track. The sensible thing, of course, would be to go back into Derby and take the low road into Wharton. No danger that way. But it meant a round trip of nearly ten miles, and I could actually see the small holding I wanted to visit just a few thousand feet below. 
The calf with joint ill was in that shed with the green door. In fact, there was old Mr. Robinson coming out of the house now and pottering across the yard with a bucket. I could almost reach out and touch him. I thought not for the first time that if you had a car to, if, that if you had to drive a car with no brakes, one of the last places in, in England you'd want to be was the Yorkshire Dales. Even on the flat, it was bad enough, to, but I got used to it after a week or two and often forgot all about it. As when one day I was busy with a cow and the farmer jumped into my car to move it so that one of his men could get past with a tractor. I never said a word as the unsuspecting man backed around quickly and confidently and hit the wall of the barn <laughs> with a sickening crash. With typical Yorkshire understatement, all he said was, Your brakes aren't over-savage, mister. Anyway, I had made up my mind. Was it to be back to Darrowby or straight over the top? It had become a common situation, and every day I had the experience of sitting, wrestling with myself on the edge of a hill with my heart thumping as it was now. There must have been scores of these unwitnessed dramas played out in the green silence of the fells. At last, I started the engine and did what I always did, took the quick way down. But this hill really was a beauty, a notorious road even in this country, and as I nosed gingerly on it, the whole world seemed to drop away from me. With the gear lever in bottom and my hand jammed against it, I headed, dry mouthed, down the strip of tarmac, which now looked to be almost vertical. It is surprising what speed you can attain in bottom gear if you have nothing else to hold you back. And as the first bend rushed up at me, the little engine started a rising scream of protest. When I hit the curve, I hauled the wheel round desperately to the right. The tire spun for a second in the stones and loose soil of the verge. Then we were off again. This was a longer stretch and even steeper, and it was like being on the Big Dipper with the same feeling of lack of control over one's fate. Hurtling into the bend, the idea of turning at this speed was preposterous, but it was that or straight over the edge. Terror-stricken, I closed my eyes and dragged the wheel to the left. This time, one side of the car lifted, and I was sure we were over. Then it rocked back on the other side, and for a horrible second or two, kept us up <laughs> till it finally decided to stay upright. And I was once more on my way. Again, a yawning gradient. But as the car sped downwards, engine howling, I was aware of a curious numbness. I seemed to have reached the ultimate limits of fear and hardly noticed as we shot round the third bend. One more to go, and at last the road was leveling out. My speed dropped rapidly, and at the last bend I couldn't have been doing more than 20. I had made it. Whew, it wasn't until I was right on the final straight that I saw the sheep. Hundreds of them filling the road. A river of woolly backs lapping from wall to wall. They were only yards from me, and I was still going downhill. Without hesitation, I turned and drove straight into the wall. There didn't seem to be much damage. I a few stones slithered down as the engine stalled and fell silent. Oh, slowly, I sank back in my seat, oh, relaxing my clenched jaws, releasing finger by finger the fierce grip on the wheel. The sheep continued to flow past, and I took a sideways glance at the man who was shepherding them. He was a stranger to me, and I prayed he didn't recognize me either, because at that moment the role of unknown man <laughs> the role of unknown madman seemed to be the ideal one. Best not to say anything. Appearing around a corner and driving deliberately <laughs> and, to, and driving del deliberately into a wall is no basis for a rewarding conversation. The sheep were still passing by, and I could hear the man calling to his dogs, Get by, Jess. Come by, Nell. But I kept up a steady stare at the layered stones in front of me. 
even though he passed within a few feet. <laughs> I suppose some people would have asked me what the heck I was playing at, but not at a Dale Shepherd, but not a Dale Shepherd. He went quietly by without invading my privacy. But when I looked in the mirror, after a few moments, I could see him in the middle of the road staring back at me, his sheep temporarily forgotten. My breakless period has always been easy to recall. There is a piercing clarity about the memory, which has kept it fresh over the years. I suppose it lasted only a few weeks, but it could have gone on indefinitely if Siegfried himself hadn't become involved. It was when we were going to a case together. For some reason, he decided to take my car and settled in the driver's seat. I huddled apprehensively next to him as he set off at his usual brisk pace. Hink Cliff's farm lies about a mile on the main road outside Derby. It is a massive place with a wide, straight drive leading down to the house. We weren't going there, but as Siegfried spurted at full speed, I could see Mr. Hinkcliffe in his big Buick ahead of us proceeding in a leisurely way along the middle of the road. As Siegfried pulled out to overtake, the farmer suddenly stuck out his hand and began to turn right towards his farm, directly across our path. Siegfried's foot went hard down the brake pedal and his eyebrows shot right up as nothing happened. <laughs> we were going straight for the side of the Buick, and there was no room to go round on the left. Siegfried didn't panic. At the last moment, he turned right with the Buick, and the two cars roared side by side down the drive. <laughs> Mr. Hinkcliffe staring at me. Staring at me. <laughs> with, oh, sorry. He was staring at me with bulging eyes from close range. The farmer stopped in the yard. <laughs> But we <laughs> he stopped in the yard, but we continued round the back of the round the back of the house because we had to. Fortunately, it was one of the, fortunately it was one of those places where you could drive right round, and we rattled through the stackyard and back to the front house behind Mr. Aincliffe. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. Uh, we rattled through the stackyard and back to the front of the house behind Mr. Hinkcliffe, who had got out and was looking <laughs> round the corner to see where we had gone. The farmer... <laughs> he, he whipped round and astonished <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. In astonishment and open-mouthed, watched as we passed by Siegfried, <laughs> restraining, retaining his aplomb to the end, inclined his head and gave a little wave before we shot back up the drive. <laughs> before we returned to the main road, I had to had a look back at Mr. Hincliffe. He was still watching us, and there was a certain rigidity in his pose which reminded me of the shepherd. Once on the road, Siegfried steered carefully into a lay-by and stopped. For a few moments, he stared straight ahead without speaking, and I realized he was having a little difficulty in getting his patient look properly adjusted. <sighs> but when he finally turned to me, his face was transfigured, almost saintly. I dug my nails into my palms as he smiled at me with kindly eyes. Really, James? He said. I can't understand why you keep things to yourself. Heaven knows how long your car's been in this condition. Yet never a word from you. He raised a forefinger and his patient look was replaced by one of sorrowing gravity. 
Don't you realize we might have been killed back there? You really ought to have told me. Oh, I love you. Hope you enjoy these books like I do. They are so funny. Wow.